All right. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time that we have together to gather to worship you uh, through, through singing, through studying, through our fellowship. Father, we pray that, that today as we look at this passage dealing with the armor of God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to, to recognize the situation of the Christian life, that we are very much in a battlefield, whether we recognize it or not, um, that there, there is a very real enemy that is, that is coming after us. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to draw close to you so that we would uh, have wisdom, that we would understand how to engage in the situation that we're engaged in, that our eyes would become open, and to realize that there is, there is an attack on our lives, um, not just out there, but where the rubber meets the road, in our marriages, in our families, in our, our places of employment, in our community where we live and interact. Uh, Father, I pray that you would help us uh, to see beyond the surface level and that we would be awakened to your truth and this reality. And Father, that we would just walk with you, Lord, that we would lean into the Spirit and that he would guide us and direct us, Lord, and, and arm us in the way that we need to be armed. Uh, to really get through this this life in a way that is honoring to you, that is pleasing to you, and it is ultimately uh, better and, and the best option for us. And so, Father, we ask that you would lead us, that you would guide us now, and it's in Christ's good name, I pray. Amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. <clears throat> Finally, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm. Now, I want to just note that between verses 14 and verse 20, it's just one sentence in the Greek, and we're not even going all the way to verse 20, but I'm going to read it all. This is one sentence in the Greek. Uh, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And Father, we do thank you and praise you uh, for this section of Scripture, Lord. As we come to the end of Ephesians, we ask, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to uh, to, to have your word placed in our hearts, that we would have the truth deep within us so that we would know how to live and to exist 
in this life that you have given us. It goes so quickly, but the things that we do in this life matter for eternity. And so I pray, Father, that you would help us uh, to see uh, the things in the life that we live, Lord, through your eyes, through your perspective. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen. All right. Warren Worsby, a very, if you're familiar with him, he's a very verbose guy. Like he says a lot of things. And I was able to, to find like one little phrase that he said that I thought was quite good. He said, sooner or later, every Christian realizes the Christian life is a battlefield, not a playground. So we, we often, and especially in American Christianity, we will have a problem, we'll have a circumstance, we'll have something that we don't like. And so, so often, Christianity is sort of framed in the context that if you go to Christ, then whatever that uncomfortable thing is or that thing that you don't like, that it'll be sort of reversed and that your life will get hunky-dory and, and you know, health, wealth, and happiness and everything will just be perfect. But the reality, from a biblical perspective, so often that as people surrender their 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 lives to God, and they begin living for him, the, the persecution, the difficulty, the friction really begins. Um, and in the immediate context, so often when we come to this section, or it's so easy when we come to this section, for us to look at the like out there and the world and to go to like the political realm or other realms, like all of this stuff, which I'm not saying it's not necessarily true, but in the immediate context, He's just covered things like our, our relationships with one another, that we're to submit to one another in, out of the fear of Christ, all, like all of us. Then he goes into the marriage relationship, the, the parent-child relationship, uh, the slave and master, the workplace environment. And so in the midst of these areas, which seem to be super important to the Apostle Paul and God who inspired his text, these areas that, that for the Christian, those who have given their lives to Christ, that God wants us to really honor him in these areas of our lives, certainly these are areas that Satan is going to attack, and we're going to find difficulty. These are difficult areas. And so now he goes into this armor of God, this sort of this idea that we have tools in our tool belt uh, in order to, to navigate life, certainly outside of the church, certainly in the world but also within the context of our relationships with one another, within the context of our, our, our marital relationships, within the context of our, our family, with our children, with our parents, and at our workplace. Like this is like where our lives, where the rubber meets the road, Christianity has a place. Uh, this idea of sort of the, the, the battlefield language is throughout the Bible, like throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament. It's always really like, struck a chord within me because I spent so many of my year, years of my life in the military, in, in a combat role. And so I, it, a lot of what is said when it refers to the military, it just sort of makes sense to me. Uh, Jesus used this, this idea of battlefield language very early on. Um, in Caesarea Philippi, he took the apostles to this, this pagan area and he starts asking the disciples, who do people say that I am? They gave all their answers, and finally they get to Peter. Peter gives the right answer that you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. Um, and then from there, Jesus says in Matthew 16, 18, 
that he's going to establish his church future and that the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And so you could read this sort of, uh, a lot of people will read it like, oh, it's like a, it's a defensive posture that the gates of Hades is coming out. But the reality is, is during that time, a city gate, a city wall, the, the city gate would be the most vulnerable spot. It was like a defensive area. And so this actually puts the church in sort of the offensive uh, role within this, this, this context that Jesus mentions, that the church is the offensive weapon. And he's saying that the gates of Hades, the wall around gates, the most vulnerable spot, the gate, it's not going to be able to withstand what God is doing through his church. And then Paul to Timothy in Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4, uh, at the end of his life, really 2 Timothy is sort of like his last will and testament. He's giving his last words to his son in the faith, young Timothy, this young pastor that was going to be used by God to sort of like lead the early church. And there what he says to young Timothy is, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. These things which you have heard from me in the, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Then the part that I'm trying to get to here, verse three, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And so Paul tells Timothy, listen, this life that you live, your relationships that you're in, the things that you're doing, there is a real battle that is raging. There is a spiritual war happening all among us. And this is super important, Timothy. Don't be... uh, don't have things like dangling off of you that can get caught up in the world that snag you. Uh, when we're talking about like a combat situation and looking to, towards the soldier, like there's a picture of a soldier here. There's a lot of kids illustrations out there. I was really tempted to get a children's one. Uh, but like anybody who's in a role of sort of war fighting, like you have to be slick. You don't want there to be things dangling off of you that the enemy can grab hold of that can use against you. And so he's like, you need to streamline, you need to be ready to fight this fight that we're engaged in. And it's not a fight like the world, it's very different. But they would have all had the image of the soldier in their mind, they would have understood the things that he's talking about. And he's talking about our relationships with one another, our families, our kids, our parents, our workplace, where your life is, every relationship that you engage with, there's a spiritual attack happening within that relationship. And Paul is saying, be ready for battle. He starts with the word finally. He's landing his letter. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So here our strength is found in the Lord. It's found in his strength. This isn't on our own ability. This isn't on our own uh, mentality. I don't even know why Melanie was in my office this morning with, with the Arnold's. And they're talking about, you guys just gave me a, like, I don't know why I'm talking, you just never know what you're going to get with me. Um, but they're talking about some movie. They're talking about all these dumb movies they've seen. I didn't know any of the movies. And there was one movie where it was like, apparently you guys had a movie night. There was a big group of them that had a movie night. And I watched the preview of this movie. I'm like, this was a terrible movie. Like, why would you guys, do-? I can't even get through the preview, like, let alone the whole thing. But then they, they were talking about all these terrible movies, and then there was one about this movie, or maybe it was a book, where like they, the, she has no idea what I'm about to say. The, 
there was like this leveling field. So like if you were a world-class ballerina, you got weights in your back pockets or something. And if you were super good looking, then you got a bag over your face. And if you got like, like all of this stuff like this, where you were hamstrung in what you could do. It's like, why am I bringing this up? Because so often, I think, in our own lives, we try to, to be successful or find our strength in our own talents, our own abilities, and our own like gift sets. But where we're pointed to is we're pointed to the Lord and to be to rest in his strength and in his might, not our own. You might be very talented with words. You might be very talented with helping people. And these could be gifts that God has given you to use for the body of Christ. But where we need to draw our strength is in him. And so as we're being used by God, we're leaning into him and seeking him for our strength because he is ultimately the source that can get us through. Moving on, uh, verse 11. See, you come into my office and you talk before the sermon, it's going to make the sermon, so this is like a warning. <clears throat> verse 11, so then we're told to put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So the first thing that we see is this command to put on the full armor of God. Um, to the readers, this is likely the image that would have come to their mind. They, this, th- basically, the soldier during that day was like a law enforcement officer. Rome had soldiers everywhere to maintain the peace. And so as he starts talking about the armor of God and de- depicting it, everybody would have the, sort of the image of the soldier in their mind. And I think that the reason he did this, so when he went out into town and you saw a soldier, he'd be like, oh yeah, I need to like, that's a picture for me in my own life as I walk with God. Um, last Sunday night, I officiated the, uh, a, a wedding for, for old seal buddy. And uh, we were kind of going down there and I'm like, okay, I kind of got to get my mind into the game of like interacting with my old bros. Because they were like a wild bunch. I was one of them. But now I'm the reverend, and, and, uh, and so I'm going down there, but then I, I get down there, and it's like we all got old. <laughs> and a lot of them, like a lot of us are really fat, and like, and just like, it's like, what happened to us? Like, what is 30 years done? You know, it's like, this is, like, we used to be like the elite fighting force of the nation, and now it's like. I can't sneeze without my back going out, you know? And, and, uh, and, and so, but it's always funny when we get into these events, we start telling our old stories and sharing our stories. And, and inevitably what happens is, is I go home and then for the next like few nights, I start having not nightmares, but like dreams of like sort of that are terrifying, namely because suddenly I'm back in time 30 years ago and it's like, Hey, we're just been we've been dispatched for a terrorist, and you guys need to get your gear going. And it's like I like where's my gear in my dream? Like I don't have my gear. Then I'm afraid of like telling the my my boss that I've lost my gear and or that I don't have it anymore. Or the other direction is is I go to like Mr. Incredible, you know the opening scene. Like for those of you who don't have kids, you know the Incredibles. He can't get his belt buckled because he's like let himself go. Um, And if you've served in law enforcement, in the military, 
a firefighter, like if you have gear, like if you're in these roles, your gear becomes like second nature. Like it's just like a part of your body. Like I'm so many years removed from the next picture. Like I had to put this in here just for like, like I actually did, like I was in the military and this is like at a kill house in Kuwait, I think. I didn't know I'd be using sermon illustrations um, or I would have been all the way jocked up, but this is like on a break. And it doesn't matter if you go back like 2,000 years and you look at a soldier or you look at a soldier today, the similarities remain the same because the human anatomy remains the same. Like this is, there are certain things that that you have to do to protect yourself. Um, You can go back to the other one. We don't have to look at the young young guy like my dad had hair and muscle, and like, it was like, good, you know? Um, okay, so, the, so, so he looks at the soldier, and he tells us to put on the armor of God, so that, the reason, why do we have to do this? Then he's going to describe the situation, our enemy, what we're facing. And he goes on to say that you'll be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, and then he begins to explain the schemes of the devil. This word scheme is a word, meth methodia, and it means to the following or pursuing of an orderly and technical procedure in the handling of a subject, to go systematically to work, to do or to purpose something according to the rules. And so this is telling us that there's an evil one, the devil. The Bible talks about the devil, this fallen angel, and that he is actively pursuing the children of God. And Paul wants us to understand that as we're jockeying up or putting on our armor, as we're going out to battle, that there is a very real enemy and he is actually coming after you or his team is going after you in a very systematic way. Uh, for those of us who have read Frank Preddy's book, This Present Darkness, this book that like kind of tells the story of a guy going through normal life, but then he goes behind the curtain to show the spiritual element of what's happening, um, this is sort of the picture that, that comes to mind. You might be in a very difficult situation, and from the surface, you can look at it through human perspective, and you can have all your reasoning. But what Paul is telling us to do is to look below the surface, to look at this greater spiritual reality that whatever difficulty you find yourself is certainly being used by God, but also could be used by the enemy to try to discourage you and to throw you off course. He goes on to say, therefore... Take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. And so our marching orders are to get jocked up. When, when, I was in the, when I was in the military and we were doing real world operations, we would be like relaxing. We didn't sleep in all of our gear, but then we'd hear the announcement, hey, SEAL Team 3, Alpha Platoon, Bravo Platoon, Fox Platoon, whatever platoon I was in at the time, muster on the whatever, wherever you were in five minutes. And we knew, okay, I got to go get jocked up. I have to go get all my gear. And I can think of like whatever we're doing, I can still, when I unzip the bag, I can smell the smells. There's a very distinct, people who are in these, like you don't wash your gear. So then it produces a certain odor that is very rare and unique to us. So there are smells that you could smell and it just takes my brain back. And I imagine that every firefighter, every cop, every military person has had the same experience. And so there's this, take up the armor of God. So like, get up, put this on. And the reason that we're doing this 
is so that we will be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. So we're, we're, we're told to go get our gear. And you might be here going, wait, 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 whoa, time out, time out. Like in my dreams, like, where's my gear? I don't have my gear. Like, where's my gear? What's my gear? I don't even, I haven't been issued anything. Where do I go? And Paul's like, I have relax, relax. Let me tell you about your gear. Verse 14, stand firm then. Having girded your loins with truth. So now he's going to go with this, this belt. Um, you can see the, the belt there kind of holding up stuff. It would actually bring in like the robe that they fought in. I'm not going to get all lost in like the military stuff. But, but almost every person who serves in this capacity, there's always a belt, and the belt is super critical. Um, and so this, this idea that he takes with the belt, that when you see the belt or you, like whatever the belt is, whatever the, the occupation is, you think, okay, that's truth. He identifies this with truth, and the truth, uh, this word is defined as truth as unveiled as the unveiled reality lying at the basis of and agreeing with an appearance denotes the reality clearly lying before our eyes as opposed to mere appearance without reality. Truth is something that just doesn't exist in our culture today. Like everywhere. Um, When I go to the, the, like, I want to say, like when I go, I think it's the mall, um, I don't go there that often, but I, I've seen this in various places or places where they sell clothes, I, places I hate. And so I think I notice stuff in these places because I normally am there tagging along with other people. And these other people don't like me going because I'm like, can we go yet? Like, our time's up. Like, let's go. We've been here for 30 seconds. Like, aren't you? And, but like, what you'll notice in stores today, like the reality is loss, perfe- loss prevention department. What, you're telling me that these big stores are just like losing gear everywhere? Like they're just losing stuff? No. Stuff is being stolen. It's their theft prevention department, but they are calling it loss prevention. And so much of our culture, we've just like redefined things. And it's just, it doesn't align with reality. And so Paul tells us, gird your loins with the belt of truth, like the, the reality um, like the truth of the situation. And this, this could, like you can take this a whole bunch of different ways. Um, it, it, like the, the, the irreducible minimum, when we look at humanity, that man has fallen and is sinful and is apart from God. That God is holy. And we can't bridge that gap. And then there's a whole lot of things that we can follow about the holiness of God, uh, namely that he sent his son Jesus to come to the earth to die for our sins so that uh, by his grace, through faith, we might have this relationship with him and be brought back into fellowship. And so I think that's probably why this second point is like, well, if we're girding our loins with the truth, the reality is for all of us is that we're sinners. We don't think like God. We don't act like God. The desires of our heart is so far from God. And now, yes, you might be a, you might be a Christian. You might have given your life to Christ and you're a saved sinner, and God might be changing the way you think and the way you behave. But deep in the core, there's something there that can like rattle you because if you're honest with yourself and who you are, you recognize like, I'm not Jesus. I'm not holy. I might have the Holy Spirit within me. In Christ's eyes, I might be redeemed. But I know I'm like ultimately not worthy. 
And I think that's why his second point is having put on the breastplate, the, the part that protects your vital organs, body armor in today's context, the breastplate of righteousness, the innermost being of the person. And this comes to Christ's righteousness, not our own. And so as we unpack this and we'll see that, the, that, that Satan is going to be attacking us with his lies, and you as a, as a young Christian, as an old Christian, but, but especially earlier in my Christian life, I would be attacked with my thoughts of my unworthiness, the things that I had done that were disqualifying things. I knew that the things I had done were not honoring to God. But then as I grew, instead of trying to push back on those things, having the breastplate of righteousness, and as I got to know the word of God, then the way I handled this was like, you know, you're absolutely right. I'm, it's not my righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness within me. And then understanding this great theological truth of like to have Christ's righteousness imputed to my account. This doesn't mean that Gunnar did anything that was good or worthy or righteous. What it means is that Jesus did. And somehow in his economy, which makes no, no sense to our economy, the Bible tells us that when we believe upon Christ, he takes all of our unrighteousness, and through God's eyes, what he sees in us is the righteousness of Christ through the cross. And it's this beautiful thing. And we need to, we need to guard our hearts with this. So often I see young Christians or people beating themselves up. I'm so unworthy. I'm so unworthy. Well, I'm like, yeah, of course you are. That's exactly what the Bible says. You didn't come to Christ because of your worthiness. You came to Christ because of your unworthiness. He's worthy and he died for you. He was your substitute, which is another theological term, substitutionary atonement that he died in your place. And that by his grace, you receive his righteousness. So if you ever start going down the road thinking that, that you're good with God because of what you're doing, you should just hit the brakes and back up and go back to the cross. Because there's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, I think they call it a fool's errand. Like you're just, you're, it's, it's worthless to go down that road. He then goes on to say in verse 15, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. After this summer, Thursday night of, of winter camp, or summer camp when Daniel and I were in like, we weren't quite in combat, but I was definitely in combat mode. Chasing down teenagers, boys until all, like I hadn't, I hadn't experienced that in a long time. Finally, when we thought everything was gone, do you know what Gunner didn't do that night? I did not take off my shoes <laughs> because I needed to be ready to go. And, and, uh, so, so this whole idea of like feet are super important for any warrior. Like you, you talk to the Vietnam guys, I don't know, I don't know, Jim's somewhere out here. I can't, you know, I'm just going to tell you what he'll say just to like having dry socks, having clean socks and boots to protect their feet, like super, super important because it's like, if your feet go down, you're in trouble. Like, I used to laugh at these football players. They're getting paid bazillion dollars, and it's like, oh, so-and-so's out because he has plantar fasciitis. And then I got it once. I'm like, oh, man, that's really bad. Like, you should be paying me millions of dollars to have this. Like, that's horrible. Like, and so there's this idea of, like, protecting the feet and this idea of readiness and the idea of, of as a soldier of Christ, to, to be ready with the gospel, the urgency, this command to be, to be going. When I look at our, when I look at our community... Um, years ago, once we had this little gathering of, of the pastors and we were all kind of trying to calculate how many people lived in Valley Center, 
combined with the evangelical churches that are in town, combined with like our attendance on a given Sunday in comparison to the community around us, is like the speculation is that there's probably like 10% or less of people within our community who are in church worshiping God on a Sunday or have given their lives to Christ. Like it's, it's hard to like calculate it exactly, but there's a whole swath of people who aren't. And we've been given this commission to go and make disciples of the nations, and we happen to live in this, this community of ours with a whole lot of people who don't know Jesus, and our command is to go there. When we look at the world, this is why we support missionaries, that, that, that we go and we engage with them, and we actually want to help them serve in the role that they've been called to. Uh, that, that God is a God of all of the nations. I see everybody scrambling. Is there a buzzing? Is it me? We, or we don't know. I'll just keep talking. I can do that. <laughs> um, so when I look at this, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel, and I look at the, the, the command to the church to go, therefore, and to make disciples, like, like my heart is to really be in this. Like I, I'm not here as, as a pastor, like as a job. This is like a calling of my life to be here, and I'm not here to like play games. Um, I, I laugh. I remembered like the hardest, like one of the hardest things for me leaving the military, one of the things that I surrendered to God is I literally thought when I left the military, I would never get in an airplane again. I, I thought I was just going to go somewhere. And for some of you, that might sound wonderful. But God has like created me to like, to be involved in like the big picture in the world. And so, and so, um, so it's like when they reach out, they say, hey, are you up for flying out for the weekend to go to this, this board meeting? I'm like, Anna, can I go? I said, oh, what do you think? What do you think? What do you, you know, like, and it's like, yeah, like, like they, they need help. And so it's like for me to fly over for four days, like I'm willing to do this um, because the world needs Christ. And he's gifted us. And like, this isn't like, I always think of Charles Swindoll. Like one of the things he said once was like, Jesus didn't die on the cross. They give you something to do on Sunday for an hour. He died on the cross so that we might have relationship with him. And there's a whole world out there. And maybe within here that doesn't know Jesus as, as, a, as their savior. And we're called to go and to have to shot our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace that we would go out. Verse 16, in addition to taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish the firing, the flaming arrows of the evil one. And so there's a shield. I think this shield in this picture is actually like much uh, smaller than the, the shields that they would have used during that time. I think it actually went from like their shoulder almost down to their, like their ankles and they could interlock together. So you could have like a super big wall um, and so, like, the protection that we have is faith. Um, and what we're protecting ourselves from is these flaming arrows. If you were to go to Revelation and read uh, Revelation 12.10 in that section, I'm not going to do it here, but Satan is described as the accuser. Like, one of his titles is the accuser, that he is before God launching accusations against us. And the reality is a lot of these accusations that he's sowing are true sins that we have committed, right? 
Like if it wasn't true, when there's an accusation it's not true, it's so much easier to stand up against. But when I look at my life and the accusations that get thrown at me, they're like, yeah, I did that. Like my, like my first time taking a lie detector test for the sheriff's department to become a chaplain, going through this, and the lady was like pinging me, pinging me, pinging me. I'm like, listen, lady, my life before Jesus was like, well, none of these things are illegal. I'm like, well, to God they are. Like, and she's like, okay, let's just start fresh and like, let's just like, just lay what's bothering you. And I like told her everything and she's like, I'm not a priest. That's not like, like, it's like, this isn't the law, but I'm like, yeah, but you have me in this gray room that's 32 degrees and you're asking me all this stuff and I'm just confessing to you. Like these, like I was not a Sunday school kid and that's what Satan is doing. And we're told to take up the shield of faith and the shield of faith is, yeah, that's all true, but Jesus died for me. That was nailed to the cross. That was nailed to the cross. That was nailed to the cross. Yeah, but you did this after you became a Christian. I'm like, he died for all my sins, past, present, future. I'm not perfect today, and I'm not going to be perfect tomorrow. I'll be perfect when God takes me home and I'm with him face to face in my new body. Like, in my new body, it'll be different then, but now I struggle. And it takes faith to believe this because the gospel doesn't make sense in our economy. It doesn't make sense. Why would Jesus die for us? Why would his death, like, like before we like the whole reality that God became man, how is that possible? Well, the evidence is there, but like ultimately, like we, we we're confronted like faith. You're never gonna be able to bridge this gap, this relationship with anything other than faith. You can take it far. I think there's a lot of evidence. I think there's like a whole lot of stuff that's there. So much more than like the other side of the coin, but there's always gonna be faith. Like it's impossible to do this without faith. And so when we have doubt, fear, past sin, struggles in our, in our relationships with one another, in our marriages, with our children, in our workplace environment, with the people that we interact with, we need faith to understand that there's something bigger happening in the midst of these relationships than just what we're going through. He goes on to say in verse 17, take the helmet of salvation the helmet of salvation, the helmet protects the head. This is, this is vital. Um, obviously, our, our brain is, is the supercomputer of everything that we do. If you can get into the head of an individual, you can own them. And, and we, we, we see this in all different things. I mean, this is like, there's, there's something called Stockholm Syndrome. If you guys are familiar with Stockholm Syndrome, this is when somebody is taken hostage and then given the amount of time, they become sympathetic to their person who's put them into captivity. And when I read really the Bible and particularly the New Testament, there is this battle for our mind and for our thinking that our thinking would be in alignment with the word of God. Paul writes in Romans 8, verses 38, these, uh, this great passage, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This goes right in with this passage, that as our doubts come in, as our thoughts about the past, our failings, our imperfections, we think there's no way that God can love me and I'm going to lose my salvation Paul comes in, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. And then 
Romans 9 through 11 is a very like difficult section of scripture. Ironically, it's the passage that he asked me to cover next week, which I'm like, like, always throw it on the guest speaker. Um, But then you get to Romans 12, which is sort of continuing the thought from the very end of chapter 8. And in there, in verse 2, he says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The Apostle John in 1 John 5.13 writes this, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And so as we put on the helmet of our salvation, God wants us to know that he knows that you're a sinner. You're not surprising God. Like you're not surprising God that you're a sinner. Whatever it is that you've done, whatever it is that you've thought, your thought, your action doesn't catch God off guard. God hates the sin. So much so that he would send his son to die for us and to provide a way for us to have eternal life with him. Moving on because we're running out of time. I could talk about this for a long time. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So in everything that we've looked at so far, everything is a defensive tool. I mean, every, everything, looking at this, this chap up here, every, everything is simply for self-preservation. Things that exist to keep them in the fight. And then we come to this last thing, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This isn't our own uh, aptitude for, for using words to, to cut people, physical violence. The Christian is told that we fight a different way and we fight through the scripture, like we fight with the word of God, that this is the word of God, which it's no, no, no surprise that the word of God is attack, under attack in our society. And so we're told to, to cling to, to know, to place the word of God in our hearts because this ultimately is how we are to fight. And it's interesting that this word for the word of God is not the Greek word logos, which is so, um, so commonly known, or graphe, which is the, the ability to, like, to write. It's the word rema, which is a spoken or uttered word, uh, denoting the operative or all-powerful word or the command of God. That when we look at the Bible and the words that we have on the pages, it's if the very words of God are coming out of his mouth to us and there is power. I think of Isaiah 55, verses 10 through 11, which says, For, the, for as the rain and the snow came down from heaven, and do not return there without having watered the earth and making it bear and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So my word, which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Isaiah says the word of God is powerful. When we look at the temptation of Christ, 
in his moment of temptation, every time as he's engaging with Satan, he was citing scripture back to Satan and silencing Satan. I believe that this is why it's so important for us on Sundays throughout the week to be taking in the word of God, that the word of God is the center stage um, during this time. It's not somebody just telling stories and if people come here, it's like, no, no, just pick up and, and pick up with where we are in the Bible. So what do we do with this? I think first and foremost, when we look at this passage or passages like these, we need to remember, as Worsby said, we have not entered into a playground. We've entered into a battlefield. And the battle is, is real. And so when we come together, this is a time for us to rally together with one another. It's a time for us to encourage one another. It's not a time for us to be phony, to act like everything's okay. And so often we like approach people and say, hey, how are you doing? And we don't necessarily really want the answer. And I I love it when I say, how's it going? It's like, I'm doing terrible. You got a second? Like, that's that's like what we want here. And I know I've shared the illustration, but it's the the only illustration I have, and especially in light of this, this context, So for me, where I'm shaped by what church is, I draw from my military experience. And one of the very first things that like at like the level that I was at, that I don't know if it's the first thing I'm arguing with myself. One of the things that they teach us is that happy, happy gunner, like talking to myself, like, like one of the things that is very important is like once you're actually into a situation where a gun battle has ensued, you have to fight the fight. But then you're immediately sort of like getting to a place where you can get people together. And and then you huddle up really quickly and you say, hey, how are you medically? And how are you dealing with ammo? And if somebody needs to get patched up, they get patched up. And if somebody's out of bullets, then they're given bullets. And I know I've shared this before. And like I like wherever Rachel is, she's right there. I love Rachel coming to me. How are you doing? I got one bullet left. You need it? Like, I don't have any more. Like, <laughs> it's like, but, but this should be what this is. This should be our time. Like, no, I'm really struggling. Well, let me, I like, love that there are people that are praying for one another, not just up here, um, all around, that we're actually engaged with one another because there's a warfare. And so today, we're going to close with the Lord's Supper. The guys are going to come forward. I think it's all guys, or the team is going to come forward to distribute the elements. You guys are on the clock. Let's do NASCAR style today. Or I'll blame you guys for being over. <laughs> so they're going to they're gonna go out. And as they're going out, the first part of communion is for us to sort of examine our hearts, to confess um, areas of our life that we need to give to God. It could be sin. It could be things that you're holding on to. It could be your worry, your doubt, uh, anxiety, whatever it is that's bogging you down. Just take this time to be silent before the Lord and to surrender to him and to, to give it to him. Um, hold on to the elements, and then we'll, we'll do the last two parts at the very end here. Thank you very much. So depending on how you want to break up the Lord's Supper, I... I see this as a time where there's three essential elements that, that we do according to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 
um, verses uh, 23 through 33. Um, as the first time is that we, like the first part is that we are, are drawn to the cross. We look inward. We, we confess. We, we surrender to God the things that are sort of impeding our relationship with him. The second thing is that we remember the, the broken body and the blood of Christ. The cracker symbolizes his body that was broken on the cross. The juice symbolizes uh, the new covenant in his blood, uh, that it was finished once and for all, that there's no longer this need for animal sacrifices over and over and over and over again. That through Christ, the perfect sacrifice was made and it's complete and then the final thing within 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is that we're reminded of the great commission that we are to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we reflect, we remember, and then we go. Let's pray. Father, we, Lord, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for the letter of Ephesians, which carries so much um, just theological richness, the truth about who you are and what you've done on our behalf. Father, we come before you bringing nothing to the table. The only thing that we bring to the table is our sin. We all have sin. We all have sinned and fallen short of your glory. Our sin might look different from the person sitting next to us, But nonetheless, we all have sinned, and before you, it's all vile. And we stand utterly condemned before you. But Father, we do thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for the great plan that was established all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, as we see the unfolding promises throughout the Old Testament, ultimately uh, sort of brought to fruition, and your Son, the Messiah, Jesus, who came to earth as a man, walking his life, Lord, perfectly without sin, without stain, and then ultimately going to the cross on our behalf, absorbing the sin of the world, past, present, and future. And we thank you that in him we have life. We thank you that This life is provided by grace alone, not based on our works. Father, I pray for each person that's here, for each person that hears this, that you would help us to understand that uh, our faith is not doing anything. It's just simply responding to the gift that you've given. And for those who are unsure, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would move in their minds and their hearts so that they could Come to the place where they know Jesus as their Savior. And finally, Lord, as we take communion, we are reminded of our commission to to go and to make disciples, our commission to proclaim that Jesus died for a world that was separated from you because of their sin. And Lord, as a church, we recognize that in this place there are people and different places. And so some of us might be in boot camp getting ready for the fight. Some of us might be in the hospital wounded from the fight. 
Others of us might be actively engaging, and sometimes we can be doing all three of these things at the same time. And so, Father, I pray um, just for our church family that you would help us to understand uh, the reality of what is happening around us, that you would help us to arm ourselves with your armor, that you would teach us to engage in this battle, Lord, as you desire us to engage. Uh, So often it is against our our flesh, against our nature, against the way we've been raised. And so, Father, we come to you asking for you to help us, help us uh, to draw from your strength, to draw from your, um, your wisdom. Father, we ask, Lord, that ultimately... Uh, within our body, that you would help us to honor you in everything that we do. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen.